but it was beautiful and it made this deep impact in me and it left this lingering question that there is something to be learned or encountered or experienced with people like James. Uh, you know, I would later go on to say people, young people at the margins, there's something there that cannot be seen anywhere else. Welcome to the Missing Voices Project. My name is Justin Forbes, and this podcast is all about youth ministry, young people on the margins of society and the church, and how we might better love, serve, and learn from those young people. I'm convinced that these often overlooked or forgotten adolescents belong in the church, and that our youth ministry should take them seriously. So, with each episode, we'll take a look at these ideas and together wrestle with what the future of youth ministry might just look like. Let's get into it. everybody. Hello. This is the first time that we're on this together. My name is Justin Forbes, and I teach youth ministry at Flagler College, and I'm the director of the Missing Voices Project, and I have with me the one and only Reverend Mark DeVries. Mark, are you there? I'm here, and I'm excited to be with you on the very first, the inaugural podcast for the Missing Voices Project. This is awesome. Episode zero. Episode zero, zero. Zero. How many zeros should we have in the zero description of the episode? I think uh, uh, I'd go with pi. Oh, yeah. That's it's going to be complicated, but um, <laughs> very good. Well, hey, so, you know, Mark, normally this first season we'll be interviewing all sorts of great people doing amazing ministry, but today is a little different because I have asked you if you would be willing to interview me. Uh, and help us get this podcast off the ground and to tell the little, little bit of the story of the Missing Voices Project. So rather than continuing to ask you questions, I'm just going to turn it over to you, Mark. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have the chance to uh, help you launch this podcast and uh, to get the Missing Voices Project on the radar of uh, so many of us around the country who uh, want to learn from what you're about. So, um, Justin, tell me just a little bit, uh, for those who have never met you, and I'm sure it's a very small group, but for Mm. those who have never met you, uh, tell them what you do uh, when you're not managing the the Missing Voices Project. How'd you get into this? Yes, yes. Well, uh, so like I mentioned a minute ago, I I do work at Flagler College, this beautiful little college, liberal arts college in St. Augustine, Florida. I say little, it was a lot smaller when I was a student here. So I actually graduated from Flagler in 2002 um, and the college has since doubled in size, but it's this amazing little beach town uh, that has this great liberal arts college. And so I teach youth ministry at Flagler College. And you might be wondering, Mark, is Flagler College a Christian college? And the answer is no. That's a good question. But before you answer that question, I just think our audience wants to know if you surf. You know, I, there's like a degree of shame in my answer uh, because the answer is no. Oh. And I, I think, though, it would be understandable because I don't have an ounce 
of any sort of athletic ability around balance oriented sports. Um, so skateboarding was a huge failure. I tried that real hard in seventh grade. Uh, surfing. I'm also, I think you can more or less see through my skin. I'm like about as fair skinned of a ginger as you could be. And so, um, I kind of have the, tapped into a real point of pain for you. I'm sorry, brother. I mean, this, are we going to turn this episode into a counseling? <laughs> I'm so, so angry at you my the real question, the real question that you wanted to ask was, is Flagler a Christian college? I want to ask you that question. It's not. And that's what's sort of interesting. We have a youth ministry program at a school that has no sort of faith tradition or, or commitment to it necessarily. But there's been this long, almost 50 year history of having youth ministry at Flagler College. And so it's an academic minor and I teach those courses. But I would say probably the coolest thing about this program is that it's a it's a community. It's an experience of community, not just in the classroom, but uh, with multiple churches, with Young Life in town here. Uh, And so it's this sort of broader, bigger experience that is taking place during college that does include a bunch of classes. And and it's a like I said, it's an academic minor, but it's more of a communal sort of experience. So the Missing Voices Project is, is sort of born out of that community. And that's. That's how I landed in these sort of fun places. Awesome. And how long have you been there at Flagler? I've been teaching here for five years now. So I, I did, I was a student here. I graduated in 2002 and then I worked for Young Life for about 10 years uh, before I went back to seminary up at Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, and then I had the chance to come down to Flagler and take over after Martha Shin uh, and be her successor. So Martha taught for almost 40 years. Um, and then I took her spot about five years ago. I have no desire to try and fill her shoes because she is amazing and we're about as different as you could be. Uh, and so I love Martha and it's been really fun and challenging to follow her in her shoes. So, Okay. One more question just to set the stage uh, because it's so uh, tied into the Missing Voices Project. Can you tell a bit about your journey through Young Life and how uh, that might that might have impacted the, the, the sort of unique calling you got that led you into the Missing Voices Project. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, this, this culture here at Flagler, uh, when I was a student, I was a, a young life leader in college. And, um, you know, we were always sort of taught that, uh, that God has an eye for kids that are left out or forgotten, uh, especially the poor. And, you know, for me, that that shaped the kids I worked with, that shaped the communities I worked in, things like that. But when I became the area director for Young Life in St. Augustine, um, you know, I don't even know how to explain it other than I just I had this sort of uh, daydreaming vision again and again and again of myself standing there with a young man with uh, with Down syndrome, with you know disabilities and I just kept remember thinking to myself, man, I hope there's a youth group for this guy, or I hope there's a Young Life Club for this kid. And, um, you know, I probably had that daydream uh, half a dozen times before finally it just landed like a ton of bricks in my heart. And I just said, I, I have to start that thing because I, I wasn't aware of anything for kids with disabilities in our town. Wow. And so, you know, I went back to the board and they all said no. I said, great. <laughs> Um, I went back to my boss and he said, no. I said, great. 
Um, but then there was a couple of people that started saying yes. And we started hanging out with some young people with disabilities wow. and befriending them. And there was this one guy, his name was James. And James had a bunch of brothers and sisters. He came from a very big family. And a, a handful of the kids had disabilities, pretty profound disabilities. But I really connected with James and we hung out. James loved Chick-fil-A sandwiches. So if we were driving by Chick-fil-A, he would not let it go unknown that he was ready for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Right. Why would um, Yeah. I mean, I get that. I totally understand it. He also loved rap music and he loved to turn it up to the point where I thought for sure I was going to start having blood coming out of my ears or that the speakers in my car were going to just fall out and break. Um, so those are the things that we did together. And we hung out for about four months and really connected, really just, it was just beautiful. Like I, I could tell we, uh, we were meant to know each other. Um, and on, on January 1st of 2004, uh, he and his family got in the car on, got on the highway and they got in a horrible car accident and James was killed on impact and their family was not connected to a church in any way. Um, and they didn't really know anyone of faith, but they knew that, you know, if someone dies, you, you have a funeral. So they came and they asked me if I would do his funeral. Now, you know, Mark, I was, I think I was 23 years old. I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but I wasn't going to say no. And I was deeply moved that they would allow me to be a part of James's funeral. But then this thing happened where I had to try to think about James's life. And I had experienced goodness and beauty and joy in the person of James. And I had to articulate that. And typically when you go to a funeral, or at least all the funerals I'd been to up until then, you know, you tell a story about all their successes and the things they had done and you tell funny stories and, you know, like you paint a picture of, of what a life should be. Um, but I was confronted by the reality that I didn't really know how to do that for James. And yet I had experienced something so profound in him. I, I didn't have the language then, but now I know to say that I was wrestling with a theological anthropology. Like, what is it about this person that was so beautiful, you know, encountering this person that maybe didn't have, you know, graduate degrees and, you know, successful financial whatevers and, you know, awards that he had won. But I had experienced joy with James. And so I had to do this funeral and it was very challenging. Um, it was, but it was beautiful. And it made this deep impact in me. And it left this lingering question that there is something to be learned or encountered or experienced with people like James um, you know, I would later go on to say people, young people at the margins, there's something there that cannot be seen anywhere else. Like I was pretty convinced James had something to offer that nobody else had to offer. Wow. And wow. it wasn't that he could tell a great story because he was nonverbal. Um, it wasn't that he could, you know, pull off some incredible physical feat, uh, because he was, you know, his disability left him bent over and it was very sort of a hard laborer intensive sort of walk that he had. Mm -hmm. um, but man, there was something about him that was alive. And so I think that sort of drilled into my mind and heart um, that there's something to be attended to uh, at the margins. So I would say that because of James, I mean, once you experience something like that, you know, someone like that, you don't 
you can't pretend that you don't know them. You know, you can't pretend to unsee those sort of things. And so over the next number of years, while I was working for Young Life, I, I ended up trying to, be, you know, help other towns develop uh, their outreach wing of Young Life for young folks with disabilities called Capernaum. And so that was a big part of my time there. Uh, but even, you know, 10 years later at Princeton Seminary, I wrote my final paper for Ken DeCreasy Dean on James. No kidding. Uh, you know, like the cover of the paper was just a picture of James, you know, um, trying to put words and understanding to this profound experience of a person that didn't play by the rules of society in any way. So I would say this whole thing uh, is born out of a community that shaped my mind and heart to be aware of young people at the margins and then really born out of this experience with James in particular. Well, thanks for anchoring us into that, uh, that beautiful picture of uh, what brought you into this, not just sort of intellectually, uh, but also in your own experience of ministry. Um, so you, uh, you actually, did you lead a, a Capernaum Young Life Club uh, there in, in uh, when you were on Young Life? Yeah, yeah, it was a total disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we made every possible mistake. I, the, one of the very first things we did, you know, we, we realized that, um, oh gosh, I can't, it's been a while since I've thought about some of these things. Um, we, we went to the schools and we just said, hey, uh, you guys are amazing. What can we do to help? And their response was funny. They, they essentially said, well, nobody ever volunteers here. Uh, nobody wants to volunteer in this, this part of the school. And we, so we just said, well, what can we do to be helpful? And so they started giving us ideas. And eventually we ended on, you know, hey, we're going to have people systematically serving in the classroom, but we're also going to throw a little Valentine's Day party. You know, uh, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you can just imagine. So, you know, I think in my, I, I use all my youth ministry, you know, brilliance. And um, I pull together a bunch of balloons and a sound system and a strobe light machine and a smoke machine. Yeah, yeah, right. Do all the things. And these Good. teachers. Up right. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to yeah. be the, the afternoon of their lives. It's coming already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we immediately, you know, we tell the teachers, hey, look, this is a surprise for you guys, too. So they didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) And so we had them them walk their classrooms into this room where immediately, like, two kids fell out into seizures. Yeah, because you have strobe light and fog machines going on. Exactly. I mean, now I look back on this and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what an idiot. (laughs) Um, And, like, the sound machine was, like, going full bore. And so kids with... um, you know, auditory sensory sensitivities, uh, they were, it was like torture, you know, really. And we had no clue. And we were just like so excited to present this gift uh-huh. to, to these teachers and these students. So it, it took about 90 seconds for the whole thing to come to a screeching halt. Okay. Um, multiple kids crying, uh, running out of the rooms, oh. teachers oh. Oh. trying to manage the whole thing. So then, you know, we had no clue what we had done wrong in our naivete. And so uh, pretty quickly, they just said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the lights back on. We're going to get rid of all the balloons, the sound, like all everything. Um, You can keep the snacks and you can keep some music on low. um, And we're going to tell everybody they can come back if they want. And so we had like round two or version 2.0 of the Valentine's Day dance 
And we just, you know, the reality is that we had no clue what we were doing. We made some mistakes. Thankfully, nobody was um, injured or harmed in any sort of long-term way. Maybe short-term, it was rough for a few months, <laughs> which wow. we just felt so bad about. Uh, but we just started figuring it out, you know, like we started figuring out what does it mean to love? What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to build relationships with kids that are different than ourselves and to sort of cross that boundary that was a, was really nothing more than a perception, you know? Um, but we had to learn the language and we had to learn a few things to, to really be able to effectively, uh, serve and to effectively love and to practice real relationship, you know, relationships of solidarity. So, um, yeah, I mean, what a disaster, though. Wow. So when people tell me, oh, we don't know what we'll do, we're going to do. I'm like, that's fine. You're going to do way better than we did. Don't worry. <laughs> it's a low bar. It's a low bar. So very um, low. Bar. So then you established a uh, a young life club specifically for uh, differently gifted kids. Yes. Yes. So okay. yeah. So we we had learned from some folks. Um, out on the West Coast, who had been about 10 years, 15 years down the line from us, a little further along from us. And so we began that work in St. Augustine um, and then Orlando uh, in partnership with the church there. Uh, that sprung up there. And next thing you know, it's in Tallahassee and in Tampa and you know a number of places. And the beauty of this was that every one of these ministries, including the one in St. Augustine, was in partnership with Young Life and the local church. Wow. And so these churches, I, I think what we learned along the way is that these churches, they had an openness. There was a, a desire to figure it out, right. you know? Um, and, and I think that there were, there was sort of a part of the DNA of Young Life was to just go and, and um, try and figure some of these out, things out as well. But we needed the stability and the long-term uh, relational ability of the church. And so that was a real beautiful marriage of the two. I actually think that's one of the prophetic gifts of uh, the disability studies world is that it, it actually draws out mutuality and an openness to partnership like nothing else. Wow. Um, and we saw that play out with Young Life and with local churches. So yeah, that was a big part of my, my work uh, with Young Life in the state of Florida. And then going on to seminary, it was really funny. You know, I was, I was ready to be done with youth ministry until I took a class with Kenda. Um, <laughs> and then I was back. <laughs> that Kenda so, teen, she'll mess with your head. It's so great. Drives me crazy. In your heart. So, um, yeah. okay. So just, just to land the jet. So Capernaum now is in how many a ballpark for me, how many cities around the country is, is Capernaum club in? Oh, country? I have no idea. It's over 100, um, isn't it? I mean, yeah, easily. Easily over 100, yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. The, just the journey you've been countries. on and the fruit that that, uh, you know, all those various efforts have borne. Um, mm -hmm. I, just, I just think to anchor us in this conversation today, thank you for taking the time to do that. Um, uh, yeah. So let's turn, let's turn that to really natural turn to the Missing Voices Project. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of my favorite stories about the Missing Voices Project, actually, that, that sort of brought you and I together in this conversation, uh, was, was that whole question of, okay, suppose you had a million dollars to do anything you wanted to do in youth ministry, what would you do? And uh, uh, so tell that story. It's, it's one that you've told uh, several times. I'd love, I'd love for you to tell it to the audience. 
Well, I do love it. I mean, yeah, so we were invited by the Lilly Endowment to uh, put together a proposal for up to a million dollars. And the sort of proposal that we put together, we titled the Missing Voices Project. And the nature of this project or, or related to the grant is that we want to help congregations begin to try and reimagine youth ministry. So what might the future of youth ministry look like? And for us, we decided to take this distinct angle of focusing on young people at the margins of the church and at the margins of society. And I, I honestly, I think all of that was born out of the Flagler College Youth Ministry Program, right. my experiences with Capernaum, things like this. And so, you know, we, Mary and I had been working on it for a few months, and we flew you down to just do like a 48-hour think tank, you know, kind of work together on this. And we decided to bring you and, and the Ministry Architects team into things with us with the missing voices project to focus on you know, getting stuff done. And so, you know, we're, we're at the end of these two days of just cranking on this and taking all the ideas off the whiteboard and trying to distill them down into a, a strategic plan. And we're sitting around the living room saying, what just happened? What just happened? I think you said something to that effect. And, and I responded with, you know, I just can't stop thinking like, what if, what if, God would use young people on the margins of society and the church to speak, to, to really uh, shed light on something about ministry, on, on something about God. Uh, what, if, what if it's these people that are often overlooked that might actually be the key to understanding faithfulness with youth ministry? And what if, what if we actually, through this project, what if we find out some of that stuff? Wouldn't that be incredible, you know? And then I, you responded saying, I think we're betting a million dollars on it. I think we're going to do just that. <laughs> and it just sort of, we all just stopped in our tracks and we were silent, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds realizing what an incredible gift. Like we, we would get to give it a shot. And, and we have this anticipatory hope that we will encounter something incredible and that we will learn and that we will hear from God in a way that we never could otherwise. Same, you know, same sort of situation as James. Um, so I anticipate that we're going to encounter a whole bunch of Jameses across the state of Florida as we move into this project. Yeah. You know, I love the way you sort of turn traditional youth ministry on its ear. You know, we normally think of youth ministry as, what are we going to do for kids? How can we get kids to come to our meetings? How can we attract them? How can we do for them? How can mm -hmm. we help them consume uh, our programs better? And mm -hmm. you're turning that on its ear and saying, how can uh, a particular population of young people uh, yeah. that, that you've described as young people on the margins or these missing voices, uh, how can they actually impact the church and actually be bearers of the gospel rather than just recipients uh, of, of, you know, goods and services uh, in the name of Jesus. So let, right. me, let me just uh, get a little more specificity from you. So in this project, is this just a project about um, those that we would refer to as disabled uh, young people or are there other missing voices that would be a part of it? Yeah, no, that's great. So, you know, it's funny that that's been one of the consistent questions is, well, who, what do you mean by margins and, and who's at the margins? And, you know, 
our commitment has been to say, we're going to go out and try and find 12 churches who are aware of some young people on the margins of their congregation um, or in their community that need to be loved and served and heard from, you know, that we need to take their voices seriously. And so we've been really open to what that could look like. And some of the applications that have started to come in have actually taught us about, you know, who is out there and, and what some of the young, you know, groups of young people that are marginalized, what they actually look like. And what, so that's been what really are some fun. of those? Yeah. So, I mean, originally we, we had in mind, okay, so, you know, we have some pretty serious racial divide going on here in the state of Florida in the Southeast U.S. And so I imagine there's something there. And we thought, you know, man, like the young people in the queer community, like the church has done almost nothing but harm those young people. Wow. And so what would it be like to take seriously their voice and to really focus on making space for them? Young folks in, in the you know, ability, disability spectrum, that, that range of thought there, trying to imagine, you know, how might youth ministry be different if you were to take seriously people with cognitive or physical disabilities? And so, you know, some of those groups, but then also a little further, like we, we ended up looking at, you know, what about young people that are living in group homes in the foster care system? Uh, what about young people that are in sort of last resort schools uh, before they are tried as adults and sent to prisons? Or what about young people that are incarcerated uh, and coming out, you know, maybe 19, 20 years old, they're being released and, and put back into public and, and looking at things like recidivism rates and, and how churches might reimagine youth ministry with those folks in mind. So, you know, I mean, the, the beauty of this is that it's been wide open and the church has you know been bringing these ideas, saying, "Hey, there's this community two miles down the road." One of our applicants blows my mind. They said, "You know, I drive by this group home of young people in the foster care system, and they're all teenagers. So the likelihood of them being adopted is much lower. But they're probably going to be living in this group home for a while." And I drive by that group home every single day. Our church has got to figure out, you know, what does it look like for us to partner with that group home? Wow. wow. And so, yes, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it just it makes you say, gosh, I, I bet Jesus would probably be found at that group home if you were walking around town here. And so I think that's our working assumption. Our theological assumption is that we're going to encounter the risen Christ in these young men and women, these young people uh, that are sort of tucked away in the corners of our society that most of the time we pretend don't exist. Right. So, so tell me where... Where are you in the project? Do you? I know you said you're going to have 12 uh, churches or ministries engaged. Have those been selected? Where are you in the process? So, you know, this whole first season, we're going to be releasing this whole first season of the podcast together. While we were recording this, you'll probably hear me refer to the fact that we're in the process. We have recently just selected those 12 churches, and we're about to take all of that live wow. and take that public. So. Yeah. Great. Great. And um, and this program lasts for how long? Uh, it'll be a two year program with the churches. And so part of this is we have a, a the first year will be focused on a year of design, both theologically and pragmatic. And by that, I mean, we're going to start asking these questions like, what does it mean to learn from, to encounter Christ, to try and take seriously these cultures and these these sort of niches of culture? So how do we become students of culture to learn about that? Uh, one of the things that I love that is, has become really sort of a clear need that we've begun to address with the way we're handling all this 
um, we decided to wait to build our team of theologians until we found our 12 churches. Oh, that's and so the fact that the churches brought their young, their groups of young people to us, we then responded by saying, Hey, you know, we've got a handful of churches working with uh, folks with disabilities. We're going to go out and get Ben Connor on our team. You know, Ben does some amazing work around disability studies and ministry up at Western Seminary. He's the best. Let's go get him. So things like that that we've said, hey, let's try and find the absolute best resources that we can to help support you and your work. So that's kind of where we are uh, in the process right now. We've got the 12 churches identified. We're building the team of supports around them. And that whole first year of the program is going to be helping them move towards designing uh, you know, a prod, uh, like a response to their community. And part of that is including people from those communities in the design itself. So that'll be a fascinating experience to say, you know, to be asking questions of people from within that experience. Um, This spring, spring of 2020, we'll have a design retreat and we're bringing this guy, Justin Farrell from Stanford University. Uh, They have this incredible interdisciplinary program there at Stanford uh, called the D School. And so he's going to come and lead us through this workshop on human centered empathy design training. And the idea is to say, how do you start by listening uh, and then really do a focused effort of listening, you know, for whatever the problem is, right? So the problem might be that there's a disconnect between two communities. How do we bridge that gap? Um, And then through that discipline of listening and that that sort of work, uh, we've tried to start crafting a response born of mutuality uh, and born from what we've learned out of that experience. So it's, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I, I think we're going to learn so much. It's going to be so fun. The second year, we'll be working hand-in-hand with Ministry Architects, with your team, and helping people go out and actually try to launch something and you know learn by doing. So we completely expect people to fail. Uh, maybe, you know, hopefully not as bad as I did. Um, <laughs> so no strobe lights. Um, but... We expect people to fail and to learn and to try and then to iterate and, you know, come up with plan B and plan C and plan D, hopefully landing somewhere that looks like faithfulness. So that's kind of the idea, a year of design and a year of practice. So, okay, that, that turns out, no, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. I want to, I want to just let you have a second to talk about uh, sort of the genesis of this this podcast, what do you hope it does? I know there's, yeah. there's going to be a lot of opportunity for folks to hear uh, the unfolding kind of texture of what you're learning through this process, through the podcast. But can you share a bit of that vision and what folks could look forward to? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's exciting to me. Um, you know, we hope to use the podcast as, as a means of storytelling uh, we want to bring some of these stories to the fore and and to share with people. So um, I imagine that we're going to watch communities learn, fail, love, grow, all of these things. And we're hoping to sort of capture those experiences and then bring them out to share with everybody else through the podcast here. So this first season will be a little bit different. Uh, we decided that since this project was so clearly born out of the youth ministry program at Flagler, uh, that we're going to be talking to alumna of the of the program itself. Okay. And uh, 
And so, yeah, so we'll have a handful of episodes where we're talking to Flagler graduates who have gone on to become counselors or prison chaplains or pastors and doing this exact sort of work um, all around the country. So that's been incredible to hear their stories. Then from there, I think we're going to spend some time capturing the perspective of our theologians and residents. We're going to capture some of our different events uh, and share some of that content. But we'll also, and this is probably the most important thing of all, we want to share the stories from the churches, uh, from their experiences. And so that'll include interviewing our lead innovators, but also volunteers and parents and young people themselves as they bring forward you know, what's being learned, how they're encountering Christ, uh, and how it's changing their congregation. <laughs> uh, well, what a, thank you for uh, thank you for letting me be a part of the uh, inaugural uh, podcast for uh, Missing Voices Project, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, all that's going to be coming after this one. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And I think you know, hopefully, in, you know, maybe in a year and a half or so, you and I'll circle back, and you can I'll be interviewing you to say, okay, what have your consultants been learning from these churches and what have you seen from your vantage point? So that'll be fun to, to come back together and do that. But for now, you know, this, this first episode is with Martha Shin and uh, episode one. And Martha was the matriarch of youth ministry here in St. Augustine. There's probably not a single church in our town that hasn't been shaped by the teaching and ministry of Martha Shin. Wow. Uh, and that's a and lot. her students have yeah, I mean, it's really, she's just amazing. So she'll tell her story of, of how she began to think and teach uh, the way that she did. Um, you know, and she came out of an era where women were not affirmed to teach and lead in the church or, or in education in the way that she did. And so uh, she's incredible. So that'll be our first interview. And then after that, we'll, we'll head into some other really cool stories. So it should be fun. All right. All right we'll look forward to it. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Missing Voices Project. You can learn more about what we are up to at missingvoices.flagler.edu. That's missingvoices.flagler.edu. I want to thank Noble Media for their production of the podcast and Troy Aragon Buchanan for the original music. We believe there are good and wonderful gifts to be enjoyed and voices to be lifted up and heard that exist at the margins of society and the church. I hope today's conversation might just push you to keep these young people in mind. What if your youth ministry made room for the kids we talked about today? Until next time, be well.